accented by the tones of screaming children in the background as they try to find their flight. And anything else you might hear at an airport. That's Zach Meisel. I'm TJ Zuppi. This is the Selby's Godcast. And the, the ambient sound of the airport is one that I desperately do not miss. The only thing that I think would make this perfect, though, is if I could smell some... The Cinnabon would just make this perfect. There's literally a Cinnabon next to the gate I'm currently sitting in. <laughs> not surprised at all. Uh, What's up, buddy? You know those those walkways like in the middle of airports that are like <laughs> do you really move quicker they're, they're like the flat ones they're like flat escalators essentially um you know what i'm talking about like the moving walkways yeah first of all do those do those actually speed you up yes they do by how like at a rate that makes them worth it see it's not so much the rate you could theoretically walk as fast as someone on on one of those walkways, but if you're trying to catch a flight and your your flight is all the way at the other end of the airport, do you really want to be chugging a lugging that much all the way to the other end, or do you want to have a little assistance? I guess. Anyway, so I say that because there are two little kids who are there's you know there's like the the two that are going in opposite directions next to each other. These kids are just like racing each other, <laughs> running back and forth and. Like going against the grain, but it, the grain isn't really that tough, so I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's too difficult of a task. Well, an airport on a Sunday night is always a mixed bag. You you know what to expect on a Monday morning when everyone's flying out, or maybe on a Friday. There are certain days you know what to expect at the airport. Then there are days that you get there, and it's sometimes it's a ghost town. Other times it's unexpected. Uh, for whatever reason, there's a, a huge group at the airport, and it makes traveling uh, fun is not the right word I'm looking for. Interesting doesn't seem right either. I don't know what the right word is, but civilized chaos. Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I mean, I I love one of my favorite tweets of all time is the person who pointed out that it's just airports are anarchy because it could be 7 a.m. and it's socially acceptable to be wearing like sweatpants and eating. What a burger! That's and it's like the only place on earth where that's that's allowed, <laughs> not frowned upon. And that's why I feel like we should all take a, a little bit of just a, just a, a page from the book from airports and not be so judgmental. And if you want to have a burger at seven in the morning, no matter where you're at, you should be allowed to do that. I don't subscribe to the whole you have to eat according to the clock. I don't think you should have to do that. I agree with you. I'll never forget. I was like 11 years old visiting an uncle in Oregon when I was, yeah, I mean, this is, we went to McDonald's and it was like 10 in the morning and I didn't want any other breakfast stuff. And he's like, that's fine. Get yourself like chicken McNuggets and fries. Let's go. And I'm like, but I can't. It's 10 a.m. And he's like, so what? And that just opened my eyes (laughs) to the greater meaning in life. Why is it that if you eat breakfast at dinner time, like it's 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 cool and people think of it as like some hip thing to do? Ah, I'm gonna fire up the the fryer. I'm gonna make myself, or I'm gonna throw right. some pancakes on. I'm gonna have some waffles. I'm gonna have eggs and sausage, and this is cool at dinner time. Why can't I have a slice of pizza at nine thirty in the morning? Yeah, why, why can't is, I? 
why is my neighbor looking at me weird when I'm grilling and drinking a beer at nine in the morning? Like, come on, who cares? You're eating pancakes for dinner. <laughs> I mean, we, we live in a world now where people work all sorts of different schedules. No one's just strictly, well, the days of being nine to five, being the only shift that you work are long, long gone. People don't know what shifts people are working. When I used to have to work morning radio and I would get up at 2.30 in the morning, and then at nine in the morning, other people are rolling into the radio station and they're looking at me funny as I'm eating up a burger. It's like, dude, I've been up for five hours. Don't look at me like that. This is socially acceptable for me. What time did that. you get home from game seven of the World Series in 2016? <laughs> uh, I want to say right before seven in the morning. Yeah. I mean, it just reminded me, like, I'll never forget walking in as my wife's alarm was going off to wake up for work <laughs> yeah, so, yeah it was, we work weird hours sometimes it was i think it was a little before seven in the morning and the radio station i was at at the time uh i remember we walked out just around six in the morning and i fired out a i tweeted out a photo as you know we were walking out and i think we all grabbed the photo to do the typical uh you know see you next year kind of thing to tweet out and my boss was like, hey, you want to jump on with the guys? You want to come over to the radio station? <laughs> do, do I want to come over to the radio station? Do they have a bed there? Is there a pillow? Is there a blanket? Because I really could use some sleep at about right about now. So, no, I, I, I did not go over to the radio station right after Game 7 of the World Series. And I'm sure that's what people want to be talking about as their baseball team lost 2-3 or three to the Orioles over the weekend about all the good times in 2016 when they came up just a little bit short and it seems like oh my god that might have been their only chance to win a world series so good on you for bringing that up well yeah good segue because world series and the orioles are about (laughs) as polar opposite ends of the spectrum as you can get uh that said the indians lost two or three and got absolutely shellacked so where do you want to start with this I don't know, man. You were there to witness it. You ha- you have to have some unique perspective on how this could have happened. Uh, well, the heat index was about 105 Friday and Saturday. Um, it was unbearably hot and humid. It was miserable to watch. It was probably miserable to watch from the stands. I feel terrible for all the Cleveland fans who drove six hours to watch just a pair of just pathetic performances. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's good that they salvaged the series finale because otherwise, like, can can you recover from that? Look, I I, I don't know. I mean, at least it's crazy that they got outscored 26 to 2 in the series by a team that is on pace to win, like, maybe 45, 50 games. I, 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 like, I don't even know. It's hard to wrap my head around. I mean, we, we've said you never want to judge a team when it's at its peak. You never want to judge a team when it's at its low point. Um, and, like, I think people have just, like, approached this as if, oh, a nine-game deficit, an eight-game deficit is no big deal in the AL Central. It's like, no, like, the reason the Indians are that far behind is because they're an inconsistent team they have a lot of young players because we don't know exactly what their ceiling is or what their floor like we don't know what they are still and i think this just reinforced that because they were playing better than almost anyone in baseball 
first four months of June, and then they end June with like the most probably the most frustrating series of the year. Honestly, that's a team that you you go in saying, okay, we should sweep, and if we can't sweep, we better get two or three. Um, so to be outplayed like they were the first two games, to have Terry Francona actually admit. And say that quote where he said, we got our asses kicked. They out-pitched us, out-hit us, out-managed us. Like, that's, that doesn't happen very often, or just that blunt. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty embarrassing. <laughs> it, true, and then I can't come up with anything better than it shows you how weird this game can be, <laughs> that the Orioles – are as dreadful as they are. Well, are they on a pace? I think they're on a worse, or at least entering the weekend, we're on a worse pace than where they're at last year. Looks like they're going to lose more games this year than they did last year. That seems unbelievable. The Indians have been one of the hottest teams in baseball, coming with an offense that's on fire, and they get shut out in the first two games. Historic losses. It is difficult, if not maddening, to make any sense of that, and it's why... We try to do our best to not make any determination based on a three-game stretch at any point during the season. I think we do our best to continue to look forward, looking at the the greater picture. And that's why I continue to say, even when they were playing well, that my, my thoughts on what they should do with the trade deadline hasn't changed, that I'm looking at, at what the moves that are presented and the things that they consider I think should be evaluated separately from where they're at in the standings. I think it should be two completely different uh, conversations. But, yeah, I mean, uh, other than just saying they look like shit this weekend, that's about the best way anybody could put it. And we'll see. I'm, the, the, the schedule has been, uh, you know, since they, they went through that uh, hellacious little bit of a hellacious stretch, you know, this, the schedule is lightened up where they're getting to, to finally face Detroit, Kansas City, uh, where they're supposed to be picking up wins left and right on the Twins. And you can look at the standings and say, well, they're, considering what has happened, they're only eight games back to the Twins, so it could be a lot worse. That's true, I suppose, but considering the way the Twins have played, you need to be picking up ground uh, at any opportunity you get because the eight games are the eight games now. And um, anytime the Twins even remotely stub their toe, you have to be taking advantage of it. That's the reality of the hole that they put themselves in. Yeah, you've got 13 games left against the Twins, but you don't want to force yourself to have to go 12-1 and one sure. in those 13 games. Uh, so it's – yeah, they, they need to take advantage of the soft schedule. Um, and then the all-star break. Like, you have a chance to get healthy. You have a chance to beat up on some cupcakes and put yourself in really good position when you come out of that break with that long homestand that starts with the Twins. Well, losing two or three to a team with so many people I've never heard of is not a good way to start. <laughs> and the, the starting pitching they get in the first two games, Clevenger looks awful. Yeah. Uh, Plesak really looks bad. It, that makes it tough to evaluate those games, too, because you're looking at the offense, you're saying, oh, well, they didn't get anything done, but same end, too, when you're already down 7 nothing, essentially right out of the gate. <laughs> it's really tough to evaluate those at-bats in a game sure. where you're down by double digits. It clearly would have went a little bit differently. Um, and I'm not making excuses for the offense. The offense still looked like shit uh, for pretty much the entire weekend. But uh, the game probably goes a little bit different way 
if your starting pitchers aren't putting you in the hole that they did. Yeah, I mean, I, the the final score doesn't really matter to me. If they lost both of those games 5-1 to one instead of 13 nothing. I think you should be feeling the same way. To, to me, it's, it's what you yeah. said. I mean, it's, it's the fact that the offense, you scored two runs against, like, John Means is good. That's fine. Um, but the last two days, to, to not be able to, to break out offensively against two bad starting pitchers, and it's not like the Orioles have murderer's row in their bullpen either. Um, that's... It's just reinforced, like, this team, this roster is still incomplete. I mean, forget about the pitching injuries. Like, you still have Jason Kipnis hitting fourth. You still have Tyler Naquin and Jake Bowers hitting fifth or sixth. Um, there are, like, like Bobby Bradley's off to a slow start. I mean, there are definitely places where upgrades are necessary in this lineup for this to be a formidable team. And And I think... You know, it, we can just have the same discussion about the trade deadline that we've had in the last couple of podcasts, but uh, I just think it, it reinforces that, like, there's a lot of work to be done. If you think this is a legitimate contender, you've got to add some pieces, and to do that, it might cost you Trevor Bauer or maybe it costs you a decent prospect, but um, this this roster is lacking in some areas, and just because they played really well for most of June, I don't think that completely masks that Uh, the other end of that i kind of feel bad because you know we were attempting to connect on a podcast in the middle of this week at least before the the orioles series began and i think the podcast would have a a completely different feel had this been recorded before the series began uh compared to where they're at today (laughs) is that fair to say yeah i mean i i still think like hey they had a really good june they rebounded i think a, a lot of people I think us included thought, you know, at some points, maybe a month ago, I, I think for me, it, before they went to Boston, they went to Boston on Memorial Day. And I just remember at that point thinking like, you know, we're probably headed down a path here with all the injuries, with all the disappointments. Um, I thought we're probably headed down a path where it's going to be trade Trevor Bauer, trade Brad Ham, you know, maybe Kluber gets back in time and you trade him and you retool for next year. So credit to the players in that clubhouse for – making things more difficult for the front office, honestly, and, and playing well enough in June to maybe make some believers out of people who, who like us who thought that this was headed toward a path of being a lost season. And, and now it's, at least at this moment, it's not that, and, and you still do have a chance to do something or, or to make it more interesting and, and these, these decisions get more difficult, which in reality is, is probably a good thing. Somebody please get that kid a pacifier. Um, also want to give some credit to the players for not calling out the biggest problem uh, around the team the last few days. Um, I think we've pretty much pinpointed what the biggest issue is. And before I, I, I reveal what that is, I do want to thank our sponsors. And of course, I want to thank uh, two additional anonymous listeners, Zach, that have recently decided to support the podcast over on the Anchor page. You can find the anchor page if you follow either uh, Zach Meisel or TJ Zuppi on Twitter. We, we tweet out the link for the podcast. You can find the, the support the podcast link over at Anchor. But we had a couple more people that opted in to help us out and can keep the podcast rolling. As we say every single week, we don't have any backing. There's no website here that 
that says, hey, you guys got to fire off this podcast. You got to get this out every single week. No, it's just Zach and I sitting down to do this uh, as much as we can. And it's it's those of you that have listened and begged and have now supported the podcast over on the, the anchor page that are keeping this rolling. So I want to thank each and every single one of you and thank all of you that have uh, considered doing that in the future. Uh, shout out to all you guys. Again, I want to give credit to all the players in the locker room that have not pointed the finger to the biggest person that is to blame for what happened in Baltimore. And that's you. That's you, Zach Meisel. That's you for tweeting out that stupid bullpen story and saying, <laughs> oh, well, look at this. Best bullpen in baseball. They're just getting it done with Brad Hand and the Funky Bunch. You tweet out that story, Brad Hand implodes. The bullpen gives up 5,000 runs in Baltimore. The real culprit is you, my friend. Um, it is, <laughs> it is uncanny how that works. Uh, whether it's writing a feature story about a player who then gets sent down the next day, I feel like I've done that ten times. Um, or writing about someone and then they get hurt or go in an over thirty slump. Like that was that was unbelievable because people don't realize the bullpen threw like two or three really good innings before Brad Hand came in. Um, and even after Brad Hand imploded like that, they still had the best bullpen ERA in the league. So people were trying to get me tagged on the old takes exposed or cold takes. What is it? Old takes exposed? Cold take? Freezing cold takes. Freezing cold takes. Um, but everything in my tweet was still held true. So I don't know. Brad Hand was due. It felt like he was due for a while. Um, and I'm starting to think, I know this is like heresy to say, I, I kind of want to trade him. <laughs> I, I think relievers are so volatile, and I know he's really good. He's an all-star from the third straight year. I keep going back and forth on this. I know yeah, we no, talked about no, it a no. lot. Welcome, welcome to the party. Thanks. Have a seat. Be sure to pick up your party hat. The only thing I worry about is they don't really have a replacement. Like, I thought Karinczak could be that guy, but he's still not pitching yet. Um, you know, maybe they could acquire someone in a separate trade that has a few years of control and is cheap. But, uh, man, I don't know. I kind of wonder if they should trade him. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, all, I'm all for that, you know, considering all the things that we've discussed from, for weeks and weeks and weeks. I don't have to discuss them all over again, but... You're right about volatility. I, I feel like anytime you can get a very massive haul for a reliever, you should almost do it every single time. Yep. Legitimately. Anytime you can get a, a ton of stuff for a reliever, I almost think you, sh- you should just say yes, no matter where you're at in the standings. Yeah, and I know fastball velocity is not critical for him because his slider is what makes him so great. But, like, it's down more than a mile an hour over last year. And I'm thinking, like, you know, a lot. the only argument against trading him is, well, you want to be a contender next year, right? So you need that guy. He's a pretty good guy to have. And that's fine. But like, I watched this story unfold with Cody Allen. And if Brett Hans are in 91 next year, that's going to make things tough on him. And I just, you know, he's had a – I think he's, he's up there in appearances on the major league leaderboard over the last three or four years. I don't know. Uh, we've we've talked about this over and over. But how long just, does a, how long does a reliever flash elite? That, that's what I mean, though. That, that's why, like, I what you get like a two three year window where a guy is just lights out, and then right. typically uh, you can have careers go on for a long time. 
but uh, at being at the top of your game. You usually only get like two to three years where a guy's just just untouchable. And if Brad's, Brad Hand is in that right now, and somebody is going to give me two pretty legitimate prospects for that, guys that I can plug in right now, Again, I don't care. I don't really care where they're at in the standings. If the return is right, I'm not going to hesitate to pull the trigger if I'm in the front office. Yeah, I'm with you. And I think that's, to be honest, I think that's the, the approach they're taking here. I think that they're taking that approach the same way with Trevor Bauer, where they're not going to be sucked into uh, how many games back, where they're at in the wild card picture. I think they're just going to evaluate each trade on its own. And if it, if one end of the trade outweighs the other, I, I think they'll they'll pull the trigger. Do you agree? I think so, but I also I think a lot's gonna like they're not gonna do anything before the All Star, and if they're not gonna do anything sure. before the All Star game, why do anything before that Minnesota series? And if they play well in that Minnesota series and they're only down five or six games. Well, then you might as well hold out for another week or so. See how that week goes. Maybe you crawl closer. Maybe you fall completely out of it. I mean, they can push this thing until for another four weeks if they really want to. So I have no I problem with that, though. I mean, yeah, I think they're approaching it as I think that it's very busy in the Indians front office right now. I think they have a lot to consider buying and selling, rentals and long term options, pitching and hitting prospects and ready major leaguers and I think they're kind of just prepping for everything they probably have plan a through z right now so I was thinking about I have no segue for this by the way I was thinking about uh Santana and the home run derby and I was reminiscing about Jim Tomey in the 97 (laughs) home run derby and I was going to give you the over under Santana hit more home runs than Jim Tomey did in the 97 derby so I'll put it at point five. <laughs> does, does Santana hit a home run in the home run derby? I, I mean, I hope so. How would he not? <laughs> the amazing thing about Tommy, I, I, if memory serves, I think he made it to the finals the next year. Yeah, at Coors Field. At yeah. Coors Field, right. 17, yeah. I think. Yeah, he crushed in, until the final round. Uh, I don't remember who won. But he made it to the final round. The, the year before... Is that I'm imagining, probably, I'm imagining, I'm putting myself in his shoes. You're the hometown hero. You're stepping up there. And in the old format, too, where, like, every swing had to count for something, there had to be so much more pressure. As opposed to now, it's more like batting pra- timed batting practice, and you just hit as many over the fence as you want. I don't know, though. It used to be, because in 97, it was taped in the afternoon, remember? And then they just aired it at night, and, like, I don't know. You get the afternoon crowd, the sun's at like it's, it's weird. Now, it feels like the whole world's watching. I don't know. Got that cool atmosphere at night. Bigger question: Which side of the plate does Santana hit from? I think he's going to do the left side. I think so too. I mean, you've got the friendly wall in right field. Right. Typically. Well, so, so I what I think is cool is going to be. I haven't decided if I'm going to do this or if someone else is, but go pick the best spot. You know, where is the best spot to catch a home run ball in the derby? Obviously, for right-handed hitters, probably the bleachers. Lefties, it's, it's those seats in right field. But, you know, it'll be cool because, like, no one really hits it to the area formerly known as Pronkville during games. But I'm sure that that area will be 
peppered with home run balls and, you know, maybe people standing out in Heritage Park will get some. And uh, it could be cool just to, like, you could be standing somewhere where normally you wouldn't be expecting a baseball to be flying your way. And I think where, next Monday night it could be. Where would be – and one, one of them you already take off the, the map. Well, they already redid the left field home run porch, but – Last year, you had Lindor hit one off the clock tower like it's the freaking Back to the Future lightning bolt, uh, which was pretty cool to see in the playoff game against the Astros game three. I was trying to think of what are the coolest things that you want to see actually struck. Have you seen that new progressive banner in, like, yes. deep, deep, deep center? <laughs> yes, yes. Like, it would be nice if someone just – Oh, clear the trees. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that would be out to, what, 5'11 foot territory where the, totally crushed it? The big Indians sign, like, the, that used to light up above the scoreboard. What if it They've been hits, waiting. What if it hits the Indians thing and that's what actually fixes the sign? That's what I was going to say. turns back they, on. They've been waiting for the parts to, to get it to light back up. <laughs> I don't know if they were expecting those parts to come in by the All-Star game, but maybe it just takes one Vlad Guerrero Jr. home run ball to flip the switch. Uh, well, you know what would be cool? You know, the fireworks guy sits on top of the parking garage. That's true. And it would be cool if someone hit him a ball. And then he would know for sure, okay, I can light the fireworks <laughs> instead of doing it on a ground rule double or all the other mishaps we've seen. <laughs> Uh, yeah, all of that is very fair. Uh, crush it out to Heritage Park. Uh, off the scoreboard, of course, would be would be pretty awesome. Just just to bring back video of McGuire doing it off the Budweiser sign. Of course, now it's all electronic up there, so the Indians are probably holding their breath. Uh, if someone actually uh, takes charge for for the scoreboard. Um, well, I think there's, you know, there's still that segment of the fan base that's still hates Jim Tomey for that quote about tearing the jersey off my back and, you know, the fact that he took, what, $25 million more to, to go to Philly. So maybe someone can launch one and, and drill the statue out past <laughs> center field. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the beauty of that dent in that statue is that it's always going to be there, man. <laughs> It'll always that be there in the winter. statues work, Jim. <laughs> Summer, winter, at all times when it's snowing, that dent will always be there. Um, you know, it probably would have been beneficial, Zach, had there been max contracts back then because maybe then Jim stays in Cleveland because he doesn't have to worry. Indians could have just offered the same thing. He wouldn't have had to gone to Philadelphia. That's what NBA players essentially have to worry about is the max. And I was looking today because the start of NBA free agency is today. And someone had made a reference to, uh, I can't remember who it was at the, now at this time, but they had made a reference to you know, two of the biggest free agents in baseball. They didn't sign until, what, three weeks ago? Um, and NBA free agency is essentially over. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. It was over in five minutes. And it makes for a really fun five minutes. Uh, and it makes all of today really fun, and it kind of overshadows the All-Star Game uh, reserves getting announced, and, and all of that's true. But it also is over in five minutes, and then what do you have tomorrow and the day after and the day after? And I'm wondering, between NBA and MLB free agency, is there a 
is there a, a blueprint? Meeting. Well, that, but is there a blueprint that you prefer and is there a way that you wish you could take elements from both? Yeah. It's a pet, like, I don't, it's tough. The NBA, because it, it's probably nice if you're in the NBA, if you're covering it or you're a fan and you have all your answers immediately and you're not sitting back and hoping and wishing and thinking, oh, well, if we want to make move A, we got to be able to do this and this and this. And we need this contingency. Like, I don't know. It's so weird because it also makes me think, well, like these players have thought about this long before they're actually free agents, right? <laughs> like if you're signing the second free agency starts, what? And I know, well, I know the playoffs take two months too. So all the guys who didn't make no the playoffs. No way. Time. They're not having but, conversations behind closed doors. But, but my point though is that have you ever even heard of like this is no one would even think of that in the M- in MLB like did have you ever heard a story like of, of a free agent who like everybody knew he was going to go sign with the Rockies like that doesn't happen. And then he signs with the Rockies on November 3rd like that it's just, it's so night and day. I don't know. On one hand, it's, it's awesome that it all happens at once, but it is kind of fun where you can spread it out. I know the Bryce Harper, Manny Machado sweepstakes got old after a while, but yeah, it was still kind of spread out it, too much. But it was still kind of cool that you were gearing up for spring training and there was still a chance, well, not for an Indians fan, but there was still a chance that that guy was going to end up, or both those guys were going to end up with your team. Like there was still an, uh, there was still something kind of cool about that. It gave you something to talk about all Yeah, I disagree, season. though. Because think about it. In Cleveland, when the Browns were bad for years and years and years, we would hear sports talk radio in, like, July talking about the following April's draft. And you would get so tired of it. And, yeah, you have that hope. Like, hey, maybe they'll get this quarterback in number four. And, like, you talk about it in January and February and March, and then April will get here, and it's like, all right. Well, like, don't you think people in Philly and Washington and San Diego and those cities that had a chance at Harper Machado, don't you think they were so tired of talking about it by the time February rolled around? Like, I, I, don't, I don't think know. it took anything away in, from the moment for those teams, for, the, for those fan bases. Sure, and think, ab- and think about it like about this: like that didn't get them. What if both of those guys sign at the exact same time, and it's like five minutes after free agency starts? Then it's over. And then what do you in December and January and February? I mean, then there's there's nothing else. Well, what if there was like a just a free agency deadline? Yeah, I think there's something to that, but I still think it's really t- that's a tough like I. I think when you first think of it, it, it sounds like, oh, yeah, that would work. That would be tremendous. But I feel like there's, there are probably still areas there that it would impact things that you can't even think about and, until it actually happened. Deadlines are, are weird because in some ways they speed things up. I mean, you see that with trade deadlines for sure. But I don't know if that remedies everything. I don't sure. know. It's, it's, what I think is more interesting is the element of max contracts because it's the max contract that enables it to happen. There's no holding out for the last dollar. There's no pitting teams against each other. You know what you can earn. Uh, You know what you can earn if you stay with your team 
And the only drama is if a team is willing to help you out and sign and trade you. Uh, so it, it kind of removes all of that. It, the player can just focus on what's the best situation for me. And I, and I can see where that would be something that people would enjoy because then there is less of, of waiting to see who's going to sign where because they already know what they're going to earn no matter where they're going. But isn't, I mean, haven't we spent a lot of time talking about self, and I'm putting this in air quotes, selfish owners and paying players what they're worth. And if you're limiting a player's worth, like on the free market, shouldn't a player be able to go out and get whatever he wants? Yeah, I mean, you're laying out good points. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know the easy answer to this. I feel like a year and a half ago. I'm not saying we have to fix free agency today. I'm just just discussing it. We tried the winter before last when the Indians did nothing and no team did anything until February. And we met up for a podcast every week with nothing to talk about. Like, (laughs) yeah, I I don't know. There are always going to be pitfalls, things you don't think of. Uh, There's a ripple effect. I don't, I I don't know. It's like none of the sports are perfect. Sure. I think that's that's the issue. Is there's no golden standard to point to and say every league should be run like this. Like the NFL doesn't have guaranteed contracts, so teams can have shorter leashes with players. Players can end up getting screwed. Like it's really hard to earn a lifetime savings playing in the NFL unless you're you know, a golden arms quarterback. The NBA, like it's you're right. Like, why should LeBron only be making forty million a year when he's probably worth hundreds of millions a year to whatever franchise he chooses to play? Um, and I think, like, I think a lot of people, myself included, are turned off by, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are going to play for the Nets. Like, cool. How'd you decide that team? Like, why? Like, they the, the Nets got rid of their best player. They got nothing out of it just because they knew they were signing these two free agents? Like, that's not, like, what, what is the point of a front office? They don't have to build a team. They don't, like, it, the Nets made, like, the worst trade in NBA history. And they traded, like, a decade worth of draft picks for Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce. And, like, they suffered through that for a while. And then now it's just like, well, who cares? We got Kyrie and Kevin Durant just because they decided to choose us over other big markets. It's, like, it's also a different, it's a different sport. Cause you're talking about a sport where one or two guys changes the sure, whole dynamic of a sure, franchise. But that's, that's why I think when we compare, you know, maybe the MLB can take this from the NBA. Like, like it's, it's, it's really hard unless we sit down and think through every possible scenario. It is really hard to think about it. it would just rules would have different effects. And I yes. think like, I think baseball's off season is, is brutal now. I think it's, turning people away it's it, it's ridiculous i mean i we talked about this when i go to the gym stupid espn first take is on at the gym every day and it drives me crazy because it's like they i've never seen them once talk about baseball and that's fine like I, they don't have to but it's it's the fact that they're talking about like the lakers and the knicks every single day of the year like it's it's like the warriors before kevin durant got hurt the Warriors are like in the finals and they're talking as if Kevin Durant going to the Knicks is a done deal. And I'm like, what? Who watches this? But my point is, like, I think 
it would be nice if MLB's offseason was exciting enough that they could get attention on any other network or from anybody else except MLB Network. Like, I don't know. And I just think if you're a baseball fan or you want to become invested, like, the NBA, the product might may have suffered in recent years because you have these super teams and the regular season doesn't really matter. And it's as long as the stars are healthy come May and June, that's what dictates who wins the championship. But, man, people are captivated by the drama and people live for this. Like, this is probably the most exciting day of the year in the NBA. People have forgotten that the Toronto Raptors won the championship. That's an afterthought. It happened two weeks ago. But yeah, it's the, just the like, player the player movement in the NBA has officially become more important. Sure, than than the actual games that take place. And I don't mean for the hardcore. The hardcore fans love the sport. I'm talking just from a casual fan perspective, tuning in, tuning in to ESPN like you're talking about. The yeah, the, the things that they are caring about and are, are being pushed are the player movement. I mean, hell, that was happening in the final. The finals are happening, and people are talking about. Well, where's Kevin Durant going to end up now post-injury? and Like, that was the most important thing. Right. And it's like, whoa, 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 hey, the Raptors are a win away from winning a freaking championship. For, yes. a whole nother, for a whole nother, for for Canada here. A whole <laughs> nother country is now involved. So, yeah, no, I, I get it. I, I was thinking about, and I don't want to spend too much more time on it, uh, because we could do this for three days and get nowhere. But max contracts in baseball, initially I was thinking that owners and GMs would love it because it would take away that whole uh, need to give a, a guy uh, every last dime that he's searching for and you could come to conclusions much sooner. That was my initial thought. But then I was also thinking, would there be teams that don't like that? Because if I'm a team that I have nothing else to draw a player to my city or my town or my team other than the fact that I can pay him more than anybody else. Is that something that they would actually not enjoy? Or is there just elements of this where, where well, I think some teams would like it, some teams wouldn't? Yeah, yes. I think that's the bottom line is you're never going to get all 30 teams on the same page, it seems like. But uh, baseball is weird too. And, and the NFL is in that like – with baseball, it's all about payroll and more with ownership – then and I know owners payroll right. is often well, there's, there's tied no cap. to market there's, size. Right. Right. And it's usually tied to market size. But in the NBA it's like it's it's all about your market. You're not seeing the Utah Jazz involved in discussions for the top stars. You're not seeing uh you know, Portland or Indiana or Memphis or Charlotte like attracting Kevin Durant. So it's I don't know. It's it's different. Whereas in baseball, like Nolan Arenado was happy to stay in Colorado because they gave him two hundred and fifty sure. million dollars. Right. Um, so I, it's just I think it's just two very different sports, and and I think just the way both sports have been set up, and the agreements the player unions have in place, just you know they make them that different, and they make it mm-hmm. tougher to see, like what could a happy medium actually look like? I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I was just thinking out loud as I'm looking at all the excitement from NBA, Twitter, and Woj breaking every story, and Sham's not far behind. What would it be like in baseball, and would it be an improvement? I have, I have no idea. I have no idea. I can't, I can't decide completely. I, 
I, I still think I would prefer the existing model compared to everything just happens all at once and then nothing. But I do feel like there's some benefit. Just, just put some sort of deadline in place for these teams because it seems like if you do introduce some sort of line in the sand that they have to make a determination on, that at least forces some activity. And I'm for a little more activity than we've seen the past two winners. And I'm certainly hoping that we get a little bit more before a third winner happens and then you and I are just sitting here again wondering what the hell we're going to talk about for an hour. Well, and I think, I think that's what the winter meetings are supposed to be. It's supposed to be like yeah. four days of just transaction after transaction and hot rumor after hot rumor and tons of talks intensifying. Um, <laughs> but it just, it's been such a snore the last couple of years. Nothing happens. You know, now it's... It's just it's like a circus, but there's no elephants or something. I don't know. That's going to be the title of this podcast. <laughs> the elephantless circus. All right, uh, let's let's do a random mini of the day. All right. But before we do that, a quick word from our sponsors. And we're back. All right, Zach, are you ready for your random mini of the day test? I'm nervous. You should be. You should be as Yoda once said in that movie you never watched. All right. Random any of the day. About to leave. Former third-round pick in the 91 June amateur draft. I'm not going to give you the team that drafted him because it might help give it away if I did. But, all right, third-round pick from the 91 amateur draft. He is 46 today. However, Today's his birthday? No. Well, I mean... Hold on. It might be. It is not. He was born on April 20th. Wow. Trevor Bauer's favorite player. Um, he spent one year with the Indians, part of one season with the Indians. And that was his final year in baseball. At the time, he was 33 years old. He played in 56 games for the Indians that year in 2006. Uh, compiled 162 plate appearances. He had six homers, 27 RBI, hit 237 for the 253 on base percentage and a 442 slugging. That's a 695 OPS. And because I'm being uh, generous, he was a left handed hitting outfielder. I think I know it already before you said that. Is it Todd Hollinsworth? It is Todd Hollinsworth. You know, that is one of the best random jersey sightings we've had. I think it was uh, a year or two ago. Todd Hollinsworth. That is, man, I have zero recollection. That 06 team was weird. Was that the year? Because 95, they won 93 games. They choked in the last week, but it was like, you know what? Yeah, sorry, sorry, 05. Uh, And it was like, man, next year they're going to come back and finally be that that team we've been waiting for since the 90s are unended, and then they then they get up to a terrible start and then rebounded to finish, like, 500. Yeah, hold on. Let me pull up the team page here. The 2006 Indians finished 78-84, fourth in the Central. There were – yeah, you're right. There were a lot of expectations on that team. Uh, and – they didn't follow up that 2005 season. Where can I find? Come on, give me the schedule. There's the schedule. 
I will say, as much as I love baseball reference, doing it on my phone really sucks. That season, they actually got off to a really good start right out of the gate. It started off two, three, four, five, six. They were six and one after the first seven games, everyone thought. Wow. This is it. They're almost as good as the O2 team. <laughs> and they were, by the end of the first month, they were already five and a half back. They were to ten and a half by the end of May. They were to 19 back at the end of June, 24 and a half back at the end of July. Um, so, yeah, that, that season didn't go extremely well. But uh, to make sure we don't shortchange anybody, we do usually give a couple more clues about our random any of the day. So what else can I fill you in about Todd Hollinsworth's career? He spent six years with the Dodgers, which is pretty much all of what I remember him with. Six years with the Dodgers. And I was just looking for his best OPS season, which was – had a lot of part-time. I mean, essentially was a pinch hitter for a while, made a career kind of of that. But he did manage in 2002 in 477 plate appearances to put up an 807 OPS. Nice. That's Overall, his career, 767 OPS, 97 OPS plus, 273 average. And he did that over 12 years. It's a pretty good career. Pretty healthy career. Do you think he would have gotten a max contract if they were available back then? Well, it depends. Is Charlotte the one offering it to him? Good job, Michael Jordan. Any parting words for our listeners this week? Uh, Baltimore's press box is open air. Mm-hmm. You've been there. No, no air conditioning. I don't think the uh, desks in there have ever been washed. <laughs> it's very, you leave feeling very dirty and sticky. And uh, it, the, there was a very strong wind today, and I had a full bowl of popcorn, and it blew across the desk and spilled all over Paul Hoynes and his area. <laughs> Hoynesy, like, it didn't phase him. He just started picking up the pieces and eating them. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it, it's, you know, it's weird. Like, Camden Yards is beautiful. Mm, I don't like this trip, though. Not my favorite. Did you like it? Uh, I, mean, I love the ballpark. My only complaint when I've ever been there just to watch a game, not to actually work a game, is that there are not enough places to get out of the freaking hot sun in Baltimore. Yeah. I love at Progressive Field that there are areas where you can walk, go walk and be out of the sun and yet still take in the game. Not as many of those uh, in Baltimore, at least when I have been. I don't know if they've adjusted that at all. Um, I don't like that you can't always see the game in the concourse. But as far as the ballpark itself, it is one of my favorites. When I was there last year, to give you the other end of the spectrum, it was freezing. Huh. First two games, I thought I was going to die. I, I didn't. I brought a coat, but I should have brought like three jackets. And because it is, as you say, open air, there's they they, they lower the one of those little bug nets, like tarp thingies. <laughs> yeah, and then that's it. They do um, nothing. Yeah, it does nothing to keep wind In or fact, elements it, out of there. During a rain delay Saturday. Like, they didn't even pull them down because <laughs> it wasn't even worth it. And, there was like, the rain was blowing into the press. Oh, it's not great. So, if you're 
going there, don't sit in the first row of the press box. That would be my uh, advice to anyone that is going there in the future to uh, ever cover a game. Uh, like the city, just that was my only complaint. And I will say before we sign off, if the authorities in Baltimore are looking for Ryan Lewis to finally pay for the meal that he didn't pay for that first day in Baltimore of last year that he came with me, he made that trip. Uh, I can tell you where Ryan Lewis of the Active Beacon Journal is, and uh, I think he should uh, be held accountable for that meal. Do you agree? Yeah, it, it's very easy to slide in and out of that press dining room without paying. And they actually didn't make us pay the second day of the series. I don't know why. And also, there's so many of these places are still cash only. Like, it's 2019. Yeah. What are we doing? I tried to do the – I was the good Samaritan. I – I go, th- go in there, and I see that I-, I can't find where the person is. I thought maybe I go in to pay. The person was not in there. Ryan's like, forget this. I'm sitting down and eating. I'm like, no, no, I should go pay. I feel bad. And plus, if someone comes in and I don't have a little receipt, I don't want to get thrown out of the press box. It's just bad. I'm going to go pay. So I go, and I hand the-, the older gentleman there my credit card, and he looks at me like I have four heads. And he's like, all right, man, uh, I need cash. Are you, you-, you serious? I've already committed to eating in there. I already have my food. How am I going to get my cash? He's like, oh, you got to go downstairs. I go downstairs, try to find the ATM, find a lady. She's like, hey, you got to go out to Utah Street. Utah Street? That's in freaking right field. That's where the ATM is? I start walking out to Utah Street. I get like halfway down the concourse. She's like, oh, uh, just kidding. It's over here by the door. Friggin' serious? Walk all the way back, get the money out, pay the $5 fee, walk upstairs, hand the guy my $10 for the meal. By the time I get back, Ryan's already gone. My food's gone. It was not worth it. Yeah, I think they're cash only because the food they serve is from before credit cards existed. <laughs> so, moral of the story, if you get a free meal, take it. Till next week, we're out of here. See ya.